The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, y'all. This is Houseguest, and I am your host, Kenzie Elizabeth. Think a Gen Z wannabe Martha Stewart meets Dolly Parton trying to live in a Nancy Myers movie in her 20s. We talk all about life, relationships, navigating your 20s, closing out the bars, or waking up at 5 a.m., depending on our vibe that week. Ultimately, living our best lives and figuring it out along the way. So come hang out. Sometimes I have guests on who do really cool things, some of my best friends, or it's just me and my house that I spend way too much time in. So let's get into the show. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to the show. If y'all don't follow me on Instagram, um, I'm going through honestly a nightmare. This has been the worst couple of weeks of my entire life. And we're going to be doing some reruns for the next couple of weeks. And then I'll be back. We'll talk about it. And the show will be back. I miss y'all so much. Trust me, I wish that I was just doing my normal routine. But for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be doing some rerun episodes of just my favorite shows that I've recorded. This week, we are doing a rerun of my Skinny Confidential episode. This is one of those episodes that I think people should listen to twice anyways, but also maybe you're a new listener. Maybe you just haven't listened to this episode, whatever it might be. Highly, highly recommend when I'm talking to my friends like on a normal day and they're, you know, we're talking about how we like don't know what we want to do, where you want to go in life. Navigating your 20s in general, I regurgitate so much of what Michael and Lauren told me on this episode, and I tell them in real life. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I love you guys so much, and I will be back very soon. I hope you guys don't mind the rerun episodes. It is the best I can do. I'm doing the absolute best that I can, um, given the circumstances. So anyways, love you guys, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, without further ado, let's welcome Lauren and Michael on to the show. Yeah, I wanted to start off by, Lauren, updating you on Michael and I's like latest plan. We were talking about this in the studio before. So a little like unknown, very known fact about me on the podcast that like if I was in any way, shape or form musically talented, I'm talking like auto-tune, I would 1000% be a country star. Like I think Just I'm Just give a party. line of a song. No, I can't even do that. Like I, that's what I'm saying. I'll give a line. Okay. Flipping your fins, you don't get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing. No, she's not on the tour. She's she. What do you mean? I I know. I feel like that's perfect. What do you mean? I I, like. We're looking for a country tune from you. No, that was fine. Mm, I'm a certain kind of Western country. I don't love country music at all. You would like Texas country then, because it's more like I'm going to listen to your playlist. I have it written down. Okay, good. While I make cat kale tortellini soup. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Well, I was just telling Michael how I think Dear Media needs to kind of get more into like the Nashville country space. And I was saying like CMA, CMTs, ACMs, like hosting. And obviously, don't even worry. I already found you, your host. It's me. So I was like, this is genius. And then somehow he made it about himself and wants to go on tour. And I'm going on tour. I always will. But don't forget about the ACM thing. UT, I'm telling you. Well, listen, I fucked up and I missed the city. I chose Austin. I should have, I, I thought it was not, I missed up. I Let messed. me tell you something. Yeah. When there's any opportunity for him to make it about himself. I always will. He always will. I will literally come home and be like, man, I'm tired after carrying this baby for 800 months. And he'll go, oh, I stubbed my toe yesterday. And talk about it for literally five hours. So, you How know, do you keep your peace. I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. Lots of tools. You tape your mouth. I mouth tape at <laughs> <Yeah>. night. But <laughs> so. listen, I'm I'm dead serious. I think, you know, I told you. Oh, here we go. Make it about yourself. No, I'm making it about her now. Um, I told you we are already in the audio space. We're already on all the big music platforms. We're already talking on a mic. All we have to do is shift the focus a little bit 
mm-hmm. get you on the country scene. We'll get the technology involved. We'll auto-tune you. I think you got the star quality. And then boom, we're already there. Like we're just going to shift the whole company. I'm going to make an announcement to the entire business, everyone in the company. And I'm going to say, listen, this is done. We're over this podcast bullshit. We're going, this is moving on. Yeah, like, this is over. We're done with this shit. We're <gasps> yeah. back in Kenzie. We're going into country music and we're taking over that entire scene. But done. it's interesting because he leaves out the part where he wants to go on tour. And like, I don't even know if I was, he said us two on tour, but like really he was like, he was motioning as though he was the star. Well, because I started, I started fantasizing about him. Like, huh? Like that's like, that I would, sounds like when I say I want to go on tour for our podcast and you're mentioning no, that you're you the star. No, but you know I shut down the tour for the podcast all the time because that sound like I, I That's like, a lot of people. I feel like you just want to be around people, right? No, well, no, I, I <laughs> like to have intimate conversations on a mic in a closed room. I don't yeah. know if like, I like that idea so much for a live podcast, but you put you, if I could sing with you on a stage to mm-hmm. a bunch of country fans, like sign oh, me up. One of my favorite things his mom's ever done is he was bragging about himself one night over steaks at his parents' house. And his mom looked at him dead silent and just stares at him and goes, don't forget who's the star. And looked at me. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> I love. I loved it. It was orgasmic. It was it's amazing. It was music to my ears. I will give my mother a lot of credit because she did that to me my entire life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, and it wasn't just with Lauren. She always was nagging me, and I don't mean. I don't mean that in a mean way. Like I have all these. She so- checked him. I have all these soft guy friends, right? They're all like these dudes, and they're like they talk to a strong woman, and they just wither. Like they can't do yeah, it because like yeah. a girl like says their hair looks bad, or like they're not being you know, whatever they should be doing. And like, these guys just crumble. And I'm like, you guys got to toughen up. And I credit my mother because she was always like, yeah, that's pretty good, but could be much better. Or like, that's okay. But like, look at what this person did. And I, that sounds like counterproductive and maybe like, oh, that's not a nice way to parent. But like, it always kept me like going and it made me okay with having critical feedback. Right. Uh It wasn't like, she wasn't putting me down. She was just like, hey man, you're not all, you're not all that. Were you expecting this therapy today? No, I think this was good. Back to our uh, live show, whatever thing. You guys should do a tour, but also I'm doing my first live show in New York and I was concerned that no one was going to come, but that's actually, I know, I know. I don't know why. It's actually so crazy. I either have, I'm like, there's like two sides to me and I would say like one side's only about probably 5% of the time and that's like, oh my God, no one's coming. Like, I think this year has been such a big year for me career-wise. Like I'm starting a brand that launches literally next week. The live show, like so many things are happening and Breadwinning Housewives doing so well. That I think now I'm like, oh, like a little bit afraid. Or I'm like, oh, it's going to sell out. I'm totally fine. But I th- people are coming. Don't worry. But I'm the buy opposite. Tickets, buy tickets. Please buy tickets. Buy tickets. But I'm opposite. I'm like, give me a mic. Great. You what know? is your live show going to consist of? Are there any special guests? Margot Ostray is my special guest. Love it. I so, love her. Great guest. We have certain things that we want to do. I want to do like some sort of drinking game. We have a lot in the works, but nothing is like... The things that I want are not set in stone, so I don't want to say it yet, and then like people will be disappointed. We need a breadwinning housewife game. I feel oh, like. that's so true. A hundred percent. We're doing for the summer launch. Do you know? Actually, you'll like this because I know Skinny Confidential was like the sorority thing, and you right? Okay, so I was never in a sorority. I went to like a really weird college, but and I've never really cared to be. But you know those like spirit jerseys. What I'm talking about, I'm gonna Google it right now so you can see. I was in a sorority for two seconds, so I maybe am not the right person to ask. I no, this is anyone I got would know initiated this. and then I quit. Okay, so like these, and they're really popular at like beaches, but they're funny because it's like more sorority, and I'm not. So we have that, and it's Breadwinning Housewife coming out. Cute. So, and Sophie Shorts are bringing them back, so it's gonna be really great, and that's gonna be at the show. So, anyways, I was a little bit worried, guys. I'm not gonna lie, and I, you know, I'm glad that I'm telling Michael of all people. I was really concerned that people weren't gonna come, but I think that they're gonna come. They're coming. I had no doubt. 
You don't have to be worried to tell me. I have I, no doubt. And honestly, after this conversation, everyone who's listening, Kenzie, I've never had a support. doubt. That's true. I've never had a doubt. You tried to act like you did, though. Let's let's circle back to that. I don't think I acted like I did. I think that I was just um, very realistic, candid yeah. with how much work it takes. I think that he sees so many people in and out of his office who make these huge proclamations of "I'm going to be the next this" or "I'm going to be the next that," and like I think that he has even signed really big talent that you would think has brought in a lot of listeners and it doesn't. And so he's pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. And I think you've exceeded every expectation that Michael Bostick could have had. That for is a true. Podcaster. No, I'm just, I think I'm candid and like, I don't sure. Uh, here's what it sounds like his mom. Well, let's circle yeah, it back. Let's, let's, let's circle it back. Let's actually, make it about you. <laughs> let's make it about my, me and my mother. But this is like um, a connection actually. But no, I think um, my style is never oversell. Right. And I'm, and I'd rather yeah. somebody come in and be like, this is what it takes. It sucks. It's a lot of work. You don't, you're not going to make a bunch of money right away. Like, Maybe you're not going to last here. Maybe I don't really want to... Like all these things. And it's like, if you can get your head wrapped around like, oh, this is a job and there's effort and like, this is a profession and you have to actually show up and put... Like, you know, it's it's funny to me. I, I talk to all these people and they like disrespect the influencer podcast mm-hmm. space. And I'm like, huh, like that's interesting because some of the top people in this space are making more money than you'll make in a lifetime, right? Yeah. Like it's just... On one deal. On one deal. It's a salary. And... um the majority of people won't. And the yeah. majority of people, because they don't realize if you can get to that upper level, like there's a ton of effort, there's a ton of talent, there's a ton of hard work, it's a ton of consistency. It's not overnight. I think like people don't understand that. They're just yeah. like, oh, like this person blew up and like did a, like like went viral and now they make millions of dollars. Like that's not really how it works. A lot of people that go viral and then come crashing down. Yeah, I actually am really glad I never went viral. That is one thing that every person that I know personally who's gone viral, like seeing because if you go viral, it's like, did you ever know who like Alex from Target was? This is the example. It's like kiss of death in business. So Alex from Target, when I was in high school, went viral. There was a random photo of him taken. He worked at actually randomly in like Frisco, Texas, like near me. He was working at a Target. People thought he was hot. He went viral overnight, had this, he was on Ellen. Like it was a huge thing. And then everything just like, obviously it didn't really amount to anything. And when you, when it's like slow and steady, you have the time to then also like implement the systems that you need to, but also to learn and grow on the way. So it's helpful. But also you saying that to me, like if something wasn't hard work, I it, I would just get bored. The, you are speaking my language so much. I try to talk about this all the time. It's like astronaut syndrome. When astronauts go to the yes. moon and they come back down, they get really depressed because it's like, what do you do next? You went to the moon. And I think the same goes for creating content. Like if you just go viral for something that maybe was like quick and easy to produce or something that came seamlessly like just being hot and someone took a picture of you. The the purpose is not behind the content. And and when you have to actually like work for it and put yourself out there and it's a slow build, it reminds me of that fable the tortoise and the hare. Yes. It's exactly. like you want to be the tortoise when creating content cuz the tortoise is going to win. It's not just that. Here's like the here's the real reason why I actually pray that nobody has instant success or goes viral. It's because it makes it impossible to understand the struggle of what it typically takes to get there. And then when you're at the top like that, you don't appreciate how much work it actually takes to stay there. So when it starts to fall, you're like, oh, it's no problem. I'll be able to just get there again. And it doesn't really work that way. So people that have worked for long periods of time, not even just in the content space, but any business, and eventually like put in all those hours and all that effort and get to the top, 
they know the effort that it took to get there and the the sacrifices. So they appreciate it so much more and they hold it much more dear, right? You're in a great position. Where if people just go straight to the top, they think, oh, cool, that's easy. I could just do that again. And then they come crashing down and they've tasted all of this success, but then they can't get back there and they don't know what the hell to do. This is what I would say to anyone who wants to get into creating content. I would say if you can lay your head down on the pillow and think of one thing that you've done that moves the needle that day, you're good. And then if you can wake up with one thing that is going to move the needle, a new idea, you're good. If you can bookend your day like that, you're making moves. I think where people get in trouble is they have these huge ideas from A to Z. It's like, just think A to A.5 and you'll be good. That's really good advice. We need to talk about my new deodorant. And actually, it's not even new. I've been using it for months, but it is my recent favorite. And I smell amazing. Like this is honestly probably my favorite scent ever. I, I, I wish they made it in a perfume because it is that good. It is the toasted coconut deodorant from Lumi. So Lumi is actually like a really genius business. And I don't know how I haven't thought about this 10 years ago to create on my own. But it is actually a game-changing whole-body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work not only on pits, but also feet, privates, and everywhere else we get odor. So no matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long, all thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula. And they've got over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it. I don't know what it is about my body because I'm not really sensitive to many things, but I'm actually very sensitive to deodorants. And I've never had a reaction to this deodorant, which is actually saying something because I feel like with most deodorants, for whatever reason, I have a bad reaction, whether they're just, you know, from the drugstore or natural or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I always have bad reactions to them. And Lumi, I don't. January has come and gone, but it's not too late to start your New Year's resolution. And no, I'm not talking about getting tangled and, you know, analytical or eating a really boring salad, okay? Here's one that will stick. Smelling better naked. Thanks to our sponsor, Lumi, you can smell good with or without clothes all year long. Make the switch to Lumi, and this year will be all about head-to-toe confidence. No salads required. So, special offer. New customers get $5 off Lumi starter pack with our exclusive code and link. Use code ILOVEYOU at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. I really recommend starting with the starter pack and the toasted coconut scent is my personal fave. Lumi starter pack is honestly just perfect for a new customer. Comes with a solid stick deodorant, which is my favorite. The cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice. Like they have mini body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping. So as special offers for listeners, new customers get $5 off Lumi starter pack with code I love you at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code I love you. All right, y'all, let's get back to this episode. And just like that, your favorite besties and tastemakers, Benito Skinner and Mary Beth Barone are back. Did you miss us? You know they did. Join us every Wednesday on your way to Sephora to hear our witty, ridiculous and irreverent musings on life, the universe, existence and of course what we currently ride for. You're going to absolutely live slash die for this podcast. You might even, dare we say, ride ride for for it. it. Who do you think besides like, obviously I would say I'm probably your favorite at Jam Media. Who do you think is killing in the podcast space? It doesn't need to be with the network. I know it probably will be, but doesn't need to be with a network. I mean, I don't- That's on the network or that's off of the network? I don't think anyone needs to be on a network. I think that being on a network, it needs to be mutually beneficial for 
for not only the talent and for the network, it needs to also benefit the audience. My pitching of Dear Media goes like this. I basically start the conversation by giving you 80 reasons about why you shouldn't join Dear Media. Like yeah, one, that's... you shouldn't do a podcast. I don't think you'd be good at two. I don't know if you need a network. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm actually not kidding. No, I know. That's um, why I'm laughing. <laughs> and I think it's because like, I think that people should join a network like this when they actually need network and business support. Like it is undoubtedly, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is easy to load a podcast, speak into a mic, buy the equipment. Like we're talking like you can do this for less than a thousand bucks, put it online. So that part's easy it's harder to scale and stand out. So it depends like what you want to do. If you're somebody that's like, hey, I don't want to monetize. I don't really want to grow this. I'm speaking to a small community and I just want like this content engine to have. Fine, like you don't need a network. If you're somebody that can build your own team and you like want to do it yourself, fine. But like if you're somebody that's got a lot of other shit going on and you want all of that support, you want that visibility and you want the production and you want somebody to build bigger opportunities and brand, like yeah, then Dear Media is relevant to step in. Someone who I think is killing it like regardless of the network conversation is not skinny, not fat. Couldn't agree more. The reason that she's killing it is there's multiple reasons, but she is very self-aware. She has what it takes. She's a hustler, even though she's a mother. And I say that like sometimes when you become a mother, you want to just be with the baby all the time. She makes time to also get her business done. So I notice like she'll fly to LA if she needs to. She's a mover. She's a shaker. And I think that people resonate with her because... I hate the word like real, but she's she shows you a really authentic side of herself. And also she's sort of in the gossip world, but she's taken a different approach. She's disrupting the gossip world because she's taken like the Perez Hilton sort of like gossip and she's made it positive, but people still want to consume it. So she's made stuff that's typically salacious, like that people would consume, but she's made it positive where people still want to consume it. Well, I agree. When obviously she's killing it, and, and Amanda is not somebody that has like been shy of controversy, right? I think like which leads me to this point. I don't want to, you know, there's so many great people on your media, so I don't want to just pick one. But what I will say, the shows that I see struggle or the people that I see struggle the most in this space is the people that try to come and curate in this space. This is a very difficult avenue to curate and not really be authentically yourself. And with that comes like showing vulnerability or showing things that you wouldn't typically show on other channels. You know, Lauren and I have been doing this now for six years, about 500 episodes. It's It would be impossible to not show who we actually are on that show, right? And so not everybody likes us, not everybody loves us, but the people that do are like, you know, they really know who we are and they understand the intention. So I think the people that I've seen have success in this space are the people like, this is me, take it or leave it. I am who I am. I'm not scared to show that. I'm going to be who I want to be. Also, like, we talked no about this off the mic, but also I noticed that that people who have been creating content a long time, especially in the podcast world, they start to get comfortable. Yeah. And they start to think that they can phone it in and they start to think that they can do Zoom interviews and that they don't need to come prepared. And like, they're so good that it's like, whatever. Howard Stern wakes up every single morning at 3.30 and prepares for two hours before he does an interview. I don't care who you are. You have to, one, prepare. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to have chemistry with with your co-host if you have one. And you have to really lay it on the table. And when you start phoning it in and you start Zooming and you start getting comfortable and you start not really reaching out to guests, that's when you see podcasts flop. What do you think makes a good host? I think a good host is someone who understands energy and finesse. And what I mean by that is 
you really have to know how to read the room because sometimes you're going to get a guest. We got the other day, Harry Jousey on the podcast and like his energy is going to be super different from someone like Andrew Huberman. For me, like you have to be able to read the energy of the room and interject your energy in a way that's going to be productive for the audience and for the conversation. And another thing that Michael and I talk about this all the time, it's you got to put the audience first. And that sometimes means making things really awkward and uncomfortable in the studio. It maybe means asking questions that their PR agent like will email you and be like, can you remove this? It means going there. And I also think that you need to discover a different layer of the guest. So for instance, if you have someone who just wrote a book and they're going on 10 different podcasts, and this has happened to us before, they come on our podcast, I have to extract something out of that conversation that hasn't been extracted. When you're doing the same fucking questions on every single episode with the same guest, people are going to tune out. Well, I'll tell you why that happens. And like this is kind of reinforcing what she said, but I actually think to make a good host is two things. Like One, you actually have to care about the person you're talking to. When I say care, you actually have to be interested and curious in what they have to say and who they are, right? Like so many people, they just see a big name, right? Like, like this celebrity or this author or this entrepreneur, and they don't even care about that person. They're actually not interested in the topic. They're not curious about anything. They just think the guest and the name is going to bring listens. So then they get on the interview and it's a subpar interview because there's not an actual engagement or care about the conversation. So I think for Lauren and I, when we think about who we're having on the show and who we're talking to, the first question is like, one, will the audience get any value out of this person? Like, is their message or whatever they're sharing going to be productive for the people that are listening on the other side? And two, like, do Lauren and I actually give a shit? Like, there's been people that are, I guess, big names, but like, we'll look at each other like, we don't give a shit about what that person's talking about, right? And so we're like, we're not the right show. On the other hand, there's other, there's other times where we're like, man, that would be like such a cool conversation, but we got to get away from the PR talking points. We actually want to know like this about this specific person. I think that curiosity builds a great conversation. We had a guest on recently who was promoting a book and they came on with these talking points so much so they like had notes out. And they were making the gamut of podcasts, like going around doing a bunch of podcasts. And it's not compelling as a guest to come on with the intention to sell. When I go on a podcast, I have no intention of selling my product. It's not why why I'm going on podcasts. I'm coming on to have a conversation. And if someone likes you, they'll go seek you out. That was one thing I remember when I first signed with the network and started the podcast as a whole. And you were like, and Michael was saying, watch out if someone, especially if they're coming on with a book, which is also another way to like even get certain guests on like they're going to do book tours whenever there's a book someone with a book that's coming on though I do that same thing I'll read it and then I'll pick two random things that I know is not on their like thing that their agent will send over or have in the back end and then I'll just focus in on like two more minuscule thing another thing I think really helps as a host is if you're very disarming like people have to feel very comfortable with you and I'm I think that's actually what has helped so much with the success of my show is that I've always been that way my entire life. And I do, I think it's like, I'm also like a normal girl from Texas. Like something about being disarming, even when I go on other people's shows and I'll feel uncomfortable and like, they're not making you feel comfortable and it's just like tense and weird. I think that like, even the like five, 10 minutes that you're talking before you go, it's really important. And that same thing goes for meetings too. 
totally agree with you about disarming. I think disarming is so important. And that even goes back to like being able to finesse the guests. Like the energy has to be right because the audience will feel it if it's not. Well, listen, there's nothing wrong with someone. Like if someone's coming out with a book that like we just had, we had our friend Max on, he's got a great book that just came out, um, was a genius kitchen, right? There's a plug for you, Max. And like, yeah, we talked about the book, but what we had, we, we covered so many other subjects. And of yes. course you want to plug your book. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but like, Tony Robbins just came out with the book and we were in touch with his publicist and people and like, you know, through a friend, but it started to be like so narrow. Like Tony's got this. You can only do these things. It's got to be on zoom and you can only talk about these things. I'm like, you know what? Pass. And like most people wouldn't pass on a Tony Robbins because he's fucking Tony Robbins. Or when they send set questions for you. But I was like, I don't want to be, if I'm going to get the chance to talk to someone like that, who I'd love to talk to at some point, I want it to be in a setting where we can have the conversation that we'd like to have. Not like, hey, also, here's a publicist pushing questions Also, it doesn't pushing, do pushing justice out. for his book or for anyone's book. This is what the guest doesn't understand either. It's not doing anyone any favors for you, for your publicist to send talking points to the interviewer. Have a real honest conversation that's a quality conversation or just don't do it. I love Oak Essentials. I started using their Moisture Rich Balm. I want to say at this point, it would have been four or five months ago. It really has gotten me through winter. My skin gets so dry. Everyone talks about experiencing, you know, the winter uglies. I don't love that term, but you guys know what I'm getting at. When you just, you don't feel your best and your skin just, my skin ends up looking like I'm a reptile. You know what I mean? Like it's not the vibe, okay? So I started using the Oak Essentials Moisture Rich Balm and that was my intro to Oak Essentials. It was the first product of theirs that I absolutely loved. And since I have found so many other ones, I have gone through probably three of those bombs because I am lathering my skin in it. Like I probably don't need to be using that much, you know, but I am, okay? And I really love Oak Essentials because it's actually made by Jenny Kane. And if you guys know me, you know that I love Jenny Kane, okay? Jenny Kane is like, you just walked into an Auntie Myers movie. And that's what I want my life to feel like. You know what I mean? So Oak Essentials is a line full of luxurious products that actually really work, especially if you're trying to achieve that natural, no makeup look. So I, I listen, I'm not even necessarily trying to achieve a natural, no makeup look. I'm just lazy. Makeup goes on at this point, like once a month. Like I'm just so lazy. So anyways, I love the Oak Essentials line for that specifically. It was founded in 2021 by the team behind Jenny Kane. Oak Essentials is known for its simple approach to self-care with a lineup of foundational skincare staples made with high quality ingredients that drive results. And results do they drive, guys, okay? Oak Essentials aims to unlock healthy, glowy skin with decadent and hydrating ingredients that give you a luxe, dewy glow. They only use the best ingredients. They have like sea buckthorn, fruit oil, organic cocoa, seed butter, organic coconut oil. It's just the best stuff ever. You can buy the Moisture Rich Balm on its own or as a part of the Oak Essentials best-selling bundles for a simple start-to-finish skincare routine if you just want to knock it all out in one purchase. Not to mention it makes the perfect gift for the skincare lover in your life. The routine bundle includes the Moisture Rich Balm, Ritual Oil, which is also amazing, Cleansing Balm, Balancing Mist and the Restorative Mask. I really cannot recommend this enough. So treat yourself or someone else's season. My followers will get 15% off their first order when they use code HouseGuest at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at Oak Essentials, O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S.com, promo code HouseGuest. Go ahead and treat yourself from luxurious skincare to meaningful skincare. You deserve it. Look, when I'm listening to a podcast, I, always, I think about myself as a listener often. 
And I'm like, the less they push what they're talking about, the more interested I am. Like, I think podcasting is such an intimate thing, more so than even like watching someone on YouTube in different ways. And you'll feel very connected because it's just, it's more raw. Obviously, you're talking for an hour. But the less people push, the better it is. But if it's someone who comes in with, like, I just won't do it. Well, it's in your your audience's ear. It's an extremely intimate experience. I think a person who does a really good job that asks outlandish questions and you never know what she's going to say next is Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop. Like, she'll get a housewife on and ask questions like about a background character. And you're just like, oh, like you, it's questions that you as the audience questioned while you were watching it, but you never would have thought to ask the question. And she goes there. And I think that that's, I think that's cool. And that's why I like to listen because you never know what she's going to say. People that go into marketing as a profession or PR, if I ever start going and talking to marketing people, or maybe I'm right now, I would say like, it's strange because instead of living and acting the way that they would actually act in their own life, meaning like they're a listener, how, what would they actually engage with? What would they want to listen to? How would they seek out shopping? Like, so for example, you're listening to this. You're like, who the hell is this guy, Michael? You're probably, if you don't have an idea, you're probably Googling first. Oh, there he is. Okay. There's the social this. Okay. What is he? Uh, is, you can see all the different little things. What I'm saying is the listener, the consumer, the end person is smart enough to do their own research if they're actually interested in someone. You get these PR and marketing people and they think that people on the other end are stupid and can't figure this out on their own. And so I'm like, they do these stupid marketing pushes or these talking points. I'm like, listen, have somebody on, let them be a compelling person. And the listener is smart enough to figure out all the other stuff, the product line, the business, the show, all that. They can figure it out. And sales 101 is if you want to sell, don't sell. I mean, it's also like, if you want, if you want to get the guy, let me tell you how to get the guy, do nothing, make him fucking sell you. We've lost that art. We need to talk about that more. How many shows have you guys scrapped? We have scrapped two. One person was drunk. No, we've scrapped probably five. Okay. Well, one that I remember, one person was drunk, which is fine. Like fucking come on the show drunk, but the person wasn't making sense Mm -hmm. and things weren't like the story of the conversation didn't make sense. Another episode, we decided that it didn't bring value to the audience. No, there's been like five, but but keep in mind that's who's, a Spanish. Who's the other one? I'm not gonna like out anybody because it's yeah. all, it's also very awkward when you scrap a show and somebody's come oh, on. Oh, one do it. one we had bad sound, like that 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 wasn't anyone's fault. It was just bad sound because we had been doing Zoom, and that's mm-hmm. never do Zoom. And that's all the other. It's been ones. like it's probably like we're averaging one of one a year for six years. I will never put up a show that the audience won't like. I don't care. But I think, again, that goes into... So people would not have to scrap as many shows or have bad shows if, one, they put more thought into like the quality of their equipment, right? So like that's... If you're going to get into audio, especially nowadays, you can't have shitty sound quality. You just can't because you can be... Again, I'm going to kind of out somebody. Like there was a podcast that I think Tim Ferriss did with LeBron James. And like, I love Tim Ferriss, but I couldn't listen to that show because it was just the audio was just crap compared to what everything else is. And I know it's probably Zoom and there's a lot of search, but I just couldn't listen. Like it's unlistenable for me. I think that's for a lot of people. There's so much good quality too. You have to actually care about the person you're interviewing. And if you don't, like it's not going to come across. And three, like if if you don't do the research ahead of time and then you have a terrible interview and you can't air it, like that's kind of on you. So I think Lauren and I's scrapping numbers are low because we do a lot of time and prep and thinking about like who's coming on the show, what's the quality, all of that. So we don't get into these situations where we have to just scrap shit. Yeah. Also the Tim Ferriss, LeBron James, that's a really good example of it doesn't matter what name you're bringing onto the show. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to get clicks. That's a really, really great opportunity to bring in so many new listeners that you can keep. Not saying this is what happened with him, just in general. Like 
you can bring in so many new listeners, but you don't want them to be just there for like one episode. Ideally, you'd want as many of them as possible to like stay on. So just because you have a big name, you should actually, I mean, you should be prep equally for each episode like as much as possible. But just because it's a big name, I, I do feel like people will relax more just knowing it's going to do well. When it's like, you, you, that doesn't make sense. Everybody listening to this show knows they turn on a podcast with bound, bad sound quality and they're like, never mind. I got to go listen. To, even if it's a big name, like I, I just can't, you just can't do it anymore. Turning on a podcast with bad sound quality is like turning your vibrator on and it starts putzing like a car. And you're like, yep. oh, fuck. Like you want it to like <laughs> vibrate and do its full thing. It's like your vibrator is vibrating at like a one potential when it should be vibrating at a 10. It's the worst. And I think, Zoom is just so the second that I didn't have to do Zoom anymore, I was like, I need to leave. I need to go. The energy in the room is totally different. The relationships you make are totally different, which completely affect the show. It, it's just night and day. What would your biggest tip be for growing a podcast? Oh, it's changed over the years. I think like, who am I speaking to? Somebody that's just starting or someone that has a someone podcast? Someone who has a podcast. Someone that has a podcast. I think creating compelling content that people want to share without you pushing it and also having distribution assets. I think distribution assets is a conversation that has not been talked about enough. And that means having super quality, beautiful video that has packs a punch that makes people want to click. I think people are creating the podcast and thinking they're fucking done. And the podcast is 40% of the hill. You still got 60% to go. Understanding that there needs to be a strategy behind pushing that content and also having good content to distribute. Well, this is like, so blanket. And if I'm like just talking to someone who has a podcast and they're like, oh, my numbers aren't growing. Like one, I would ask, are you going on other shows consistently? It's still the best way to grow people. You need to go to a place where people are already listening. So if you're not doing that, even if the show's small, like Lauren and I, you know, it's, it's less and less frequent now because we're so busy with all the other stuff and the kids and we do our show eight times a month. But in the beginning, we were on every, any show that asked, like, doesn't matter the size. Doesn't matter if it's a hundred listeners or a million listeners. Go go on, do the swaps, invite people on. Two, I think consistency is really important. You know, like we didn't really see exponential growth on our numbers till about two and a half, three years in, right? So like that's a long time. A lot of people feel like, oh, I. I would say it. that's exactly my peak too. Yeah, like two and a half, three years yeah. is probably that. I mean, and that's harder now. I mean, the good thing now in podcasting is there's so much more attention on the space. We used to have to create videos to show people where the podcast app was on their phone. Like th- that's vintage. I- I actually remember, yes, I remember having to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, hey, you go to the thing. (laughs) Now, luckily, like more people are paying attention. They know what a podcast is. So there's more listeners, but with that, there's more competition. So this is going to sound really cliche and cheesy, but you have to find your authentic voice and your perspective that only you can share. Because if people come in and say, I'm going to be the next Kenzie, it's too late. You're a second rate version of Kenzie. If you want to say, I'm going to be the next Lauren Everett or Skinny Confidential, it's too late. That already exists. You want to be the next Caller Daddy. That already exists. You want to be the next Joe Rogan. He already exists. You can't follow in the footsteps of things that are already great. You have to figure out your own path that can't be duplicated. And the only thing that can't be duplicated is your own authentic voice and your own authentic perspective. Life changed for me completely when I woke up one morning and was like, I am just going to talk exactly how I am on a mic. Like it's truly that simple. I'm just going to be exactly what you see is what you get. The way I am on a mic is how I am at home, is how I am with my friends, is how I am with my dad. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And once I had that switch, it was a really big epiphany. And I think that, you know, my advice also to anyone who's talking on a mic, Michael said this earlier, 
It's not a curated Instagram feed. It's a different medium. Well, I think, and this is, and then I'll shut up. And we talked about this a little bit offline, like cancel culture has done a number on people. And I'll tell you why. I'm not going to get into the throes of cancel culture, but I'll say this. You have a lot of creators or business owners or public people or just people that put things out on general, attaching themselves to causes they don't actually care about, apologizing for things they're not really sorry for, doing things and talking about things that they don't really even want to be talking about. And they're doing it because they feel if they don't, that they're going to be so-called canceled or alienated. Lauren and I, just looked at each other one day and we're like, we're going to do exactly what we want, whenever we want, how we want. And people may not like it, but too fucking bad, right? Like those people don't have to listen. They have choices online. And what's crazy is you'd think that that strategy, especially in this culture would be like, oh no, don't do that. Like your numbers might get hit or your sponsors might leave or your audience might diminish. It has almost quadrupled because I think the people that are like, okay, cool. Like we may not agree all the time, but at least we know exactly who they are all these people that are trying to do all these things and, and miss potholes and apologize for things they don't care about or attach themselves to causes they're not really passionate about. Again, the listener, the end consumer, the viewer is smart enough to smell that bullshit and say, wait a minute, like that's not really what they care about or who they are. So I'm going to go find somebody that actually does do these authentic things. I think that's why Barstool is doing killing it sure. in the past two years, especially because they just also same thing. Like they just didn't care. But I think cancel culture too, even there was a point for me where I was like, I felt like I was, the thing that I realized is like, it's so crazy because it wasn't even cancelable things, but I almost felt like quieter or I wouldn't like show my same personality and just over time. it's meant to do. Yes. It's meant, it's meant to put a pin in you. So you stop creating and you shut the fuck up because guess what that does? It slows down your race. So say someone is on YouTube and they see what you're doing and they want to get ahead. If they put a pin in you and they shut you up, they can get ahead more. It's actually like a super manipulative mentality, I think, on people who are trying to go around canceling people. And honestly, if you are someone online who writes six paragraphs about why someone should be canceled or you go on their Instagram and you write something negative, that is such a fucking waste of time. You could be putting that towards something so productive. It's It blows my mind that people even want to go there. Like it says a lot that that's how people are spending their time. And then it shows where, why they're, they are where they're There's at. There's been an interesting thing, like, like in this, obviously, like I sit on a mic with Lauren, but like the other hat I wear is like, if, I guess if I'm the executive of Dear Media, right? And with that, you know, I guess there's a lot of shows that are housed under that umbrella. And with every single show has their own kind of controversy, some greater than others, right? And so many people over the years have come to me like, cancel this person or shut this person down. My blanket response across all of it is no, I'm not. I don't care because I'm not going to participate in that. Like what I determine as being canceled is people when they stop actually paying attention to someone. If I, if I was producing a show at Dear Media and they went through a cancelable event and then like I looked and everyone, people stopped listening. Nobody cared anymore. Like there's no attention. I'm like, okay, like the audience, the marketplace has spoken. They don't want this. When people are screaming at me to cancel something and I see the numbers tripling, I'm like, that's not what the audience wants, right? Like there's a small minority of people that are screaming about some offense or some offensive thing that somebody said that they're going to forget about in a month anyway. And so like, I'm not going to shut that down just because someone like a corner of the internet's upset. I don't care. Like maybe that's the wrong approach, but I see so many spineless network executives and they jump in and they go with whatever the wind's blowing and whatever, like one angry corner of the internet does. And I'm like, okay, like you guys do that, but I'm not going to participate in that. I think that approach is the best approach too. It's really negative. And I also think about my friends too, who are like in their 20s and post-grad. And like when I moved back home, not home, when I moved to Dallas, and then I saw 
like normal people who were not like most of my friends don't even follow people on Instagram that they don't know unless it's like very select influencers and they're just like normal people. And then I'll explain like, oh, this happened or like a friend of mine and this is why so-and-so like whatever it is, they are so taken aback that like, and they're normal, like no, what I mean by normal people is like they just are not showing their lives on the internet and they just, they are so appalled of this happening. I'm like, I know because it, it is just this like never ending cycle and then misery breeds company and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. You have to just take yourself out. What's wild to me is that we're so crazy about what we consume and what we eat. And we're so crazy about how we go to the gym. And we're so crazy about like what we put in our body. And no one is talking about the content that we're consuming. If you're consuming negative content all day long, you're going to go to a negative place. I am a really big proponent of monitoring the content I consume. I do not scroll the Instagram feed on the left. I don't feel good when I do it. I am very purposeful with the stories that I consume. I don't watch five different stories every single day. That's a minute of your day, 365 days a year, consuming someone's content that's not having a valuable impact on your life. I think even with podcasts, like I notice if I wake up in the morning and I listen to a gossip podcast, it doesn't set the right tone for me. So now I listen to like Ed Milet or Gary Vee or a book on tape or something that's like going to uplift me. I think it's really important to really monitor the content you're consuming because it can take you to a negative place. Absolutely. Okay. I want to transition and talk about navigating your 20s, which we talked a little bit about already on your show. This is the hottest topic. It's also interesting because you would think it's talked about more, but it seems as though by the downloads on the show that it, it must just be here because What I've noticed more so with guys is that people just don't talk about struggles and like post-grad especially. They act like everything's great or they have a lot of friends or whatever. They just are not very open and vulnerable. I feel like my friends in LA were so open. My friends in Texas are a lot more like closed off. So anyways, with that being said, I think that podcasts are like helping as far as like your 20s go and probably with everything else. What would you guys tell your 24-year-old selves? (laughs) My dad always says this. He always says it's such a weird gap between 20 and 25. He used to tell me that all the time when I was when I was a little girl and the reason he would tell me that is because you have this purpose when when you're young, right? You you go to elementary school and then you graduate to junior high and then you graduate to high school and then you some you know, you can go to college. And that's like this structure and this formula. And then you get out of college and there's no more structure and formula. And I feel like we've been fed this bullshit lie when we're in high school. There's also no more ranking system. There's no more ranking system. And so we've been fed this bullshit in high school that we go to college and then we graduate and then we get the corner office in, in 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 the big corporate building and it's like bliss and that's it. But at 20 to 25, there's no real formula and you almost feel like, at least I did, like the your identity is a little bit wishy-washy. And you also, and, and this is how I felt, felt like you're trying to find your purpose and you're trying to find progress. And when you don't have progress in your life, you get depressed. And so those years, 20 to 25, you feel like that. And it's it's very uncomfortable. My advice would be... <laughs> create routine. You said that on our podcast, have a routine. Don't just, don't just be drinking until four in the morning every single night and not having any kind of structure to your day. But I would also say, make sure you have fun because it's a time to have fun. 
I would also say don't put so much pressure on yourself. This is touching on what Lauren said. I read this book a while back and it was talking about progress. And it says like, you know, to Lauren's point, you go through all these years of school with all this progress. Every year you finish a grade. And if you go to college, you finish, you know, even more. But then you get out and it's like, you don't have that, like in a year, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to progress or get a promotion. And what we feel if we, if we stop progressing and go a little bit backwards or what we perceive to be backwards, we actually look at that as depressed, like we're depressed, right? Like, so I think it's tough for a lot of people, especially young people to contextualize, not feeling constant progression. And also you don't have a measuring system anymore. Like when you're in school, you know, okay, after 12 years, I'm out of high school. So like, that's your gap, right? Like you're able to be patient because you know, it ends at 12. If you go to college, whatever, call it 16 or whatever. And so when you get into an adult life, like there is that measuring system doesn't measure anymore. Right. And with that, I think what happens is people lose a complete lack of, they have a complete lack of patience, right? They think I'm 23. I have to have my entire life figured out. I have to know my passion. I have to have my job path. And if I don't figure that out right now, then I'm a failure because I'm not progressing in life. If I could talk to my younger self, I would say, whoa, slow down, dude, be patient. You don't have to have it all figured out. As a matter of fact, I floated around and did all sorts. I, I think like I was counting the other day. I think I did like six or seven different businesses and different roles before I was 32 years old. So like from the 20 to then. And some of them were success and some of them were failures. But in that whole time, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? I'm going in 18 different directions. And just now, like finally at 35, I'm like, okay, I think I've figured out kind of what I want to do, but I still haven't figured out. And I think if you looked at me or Lauren on paper, you would think, hey, these two have it figured out. They're successful. They got this show. They got this business. But honestly, and I mean this wholeheartedly, like we are still figuring out and still figuring out what our passion is and what we want to do. And I think if more young people had the context, were able to contextualize, like, hey, it's not two or three years you got to figure this out. It's 40 years, they would be a lot more patient and a lot less hard on themselves. This is something micro, I would say. This is complete different advice than I feel like young people get. You get advice to go try a bunch of different things and intern at a bunch of different businesses to find your passion. I would completely throw that out the window. I would tell you to go work a service industry job at night because the day is freed up for you to work on something that's actually going to move the needle towards something you want to do. So for instance, what I would do if I was 20 years old is I would go get a cocktail job or a bartending job and I would work from six o'clock to midnight, five o'clock to midnight, whatever it is. I would get off, I'd come home, I'd sleep, I'd wake up. And then that whole day would be spent podcasting, writing, getting on YouTube, whatever that is. So at least when you're doing your job, you're making money because that's those are great jobs to make money. You're learning how to talk to people because bartending and cocktailing, you're learning how to finesse energy. So you're learning skills that are super tangible in the real world, but you're also making moves and moving the needle towards something that's going to really benefit you over a long time, as opposed to going and interning at a magazine and going and interning at a a book publishing company, like you're spreading your energy towards things that you're not really pushing one boulder up one hill. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. That's actually incredible advice. I honestly, I cannot tell everyone enough. I was a bartender for six years. I worked on the Skinny Confidential every single day during the day. I'm so happy I did that. And I learned so much more bartending than I did in college. And I, I think to Lauren's point here, you know, and I think you learned this early, so you don't even have to know. And it's something that inherently we just both are like, you can't be lazy and you can't have expectations that somebody's going to come in and help you. And you also can't believe that you're owed anything because you're not, right? 
there are so many people that come through the doors of Dear Media, young, hungry people that are hustling. And honestly, I don't even look at a college resume. I look at like, who wants to come in and work their face off and hustle? I don't care if you went to some Stanford or Ivy League school. I don't even look. I have no idea who, where any school anyone in this company went to. No idea. I look at who's got hustle, who's got drive. You have to put in the work. You know, one thing that I think is super important is if you need to pay the bills, yeah, get a service industry job or get something that pays the bills. But if you want to also chase your passion or create content or start your own business, like that's your side hustle. The podcast is still Lauren and I's side hustle. For years, Dear Media was my side hustle, right? I was running two other businesses when I started Dear Media and I was running it in a different city. So you have to sacrifice and and put in the time and the effort. You can't expect all this abundance in your life if you don't. And I think a lot of young people sometimes think they're owed this or they went to school and they deserve it or like somebody's going to come in and give it to them. It's just not going to happen. There's nothing that I've seen from anyone I know that's successful that's been given to them. Even people that grew up with so-called money, I've seen so many people blow those opportunities and go straight into the dirt, right? Like you have to, you have to work. What you said about college just now, my dad was over hiring at a really big company for a very long time. And he has told me that since I was so young. He's like, it does not matter where you go to school, the amount of kids that I've hired from Texas State over Harvard because they have social skills. And I mean, they're in sales granted, but he's like, it's, I cannot even stress that to you enough. Let me say something controversial. If I could go back and do it all over again, my whole life, one of the things I would change, I wouldn't go to college. I went to college for four years. I found it to be a complete waste of time. I wish I was putting my energy towards creating content. Well, two things. People aren't going to agree with that. Maybe. Well, two things. I would go to college because I was fortunate enough that my parents paid for college. So I didn't have the financial burden of taking on a bunch of student debt. And I was able, I think that's a weird gap, 18 to like 22, where you're like, you don't really have the experience to get the job you really want. It, you know, you don't really know who you are yet. You don't really, you, you maybe probably been living at home for a long time. So that's like a period of time to experiment, get some social skills, get some independence, you know. Social skills. Is that what you called it when you went there? Yes. That's what you call social <laughs> skills. What does that mean? But if you're, if you're in a situation where maybe your parents aren't footing the bill and it's on you to take on a bunch of debt, I don't suggest that people do that. I think there's so many tragic stories of people taking on so much debt. They end up like four or $500,000 in the hole. I just finished paying off my college loans. Yeah. And then they get out and they think that they're going to be a job in the market to support that. But like, that might not be the case. And so I think we're doing a disservice to a lot of young people by saying you have to go to college right away and you have to take on this debt. If you're a doctor or a lawyer, yes, you have to go to college, but I'm talking on a mic. You know what I mean? Yes. So I think like you got to do what works for you. I was having this conversation this morning with a friend and just saying, it is so crazy. I, my, I majored in business and my school was incredibly inexpensive. I didn't have loans. Like I got very lucky. I too would, if I, I moved out when I was 17 and my one, my agreement with my dad for him letting me do that was you still have to go to college. So I went to like a very different route, but I did get my degree. And to be honest, complete waste. Like it was not necessary at all, but it's interesting too. Cause I went to business school and I don't think I learned a single thing at all. And also if I, I learned so much from YouTube from 16 to 18, that if I didn't know what the term was called, I knew what it meant. So it was the, it was a joke. Like it was so they, easy. You can't teach business really. You kind of have to jump in with yeah. your head first into the, the, the deep end and figure it out well, it's and swim. Not, it's not just that. So again, I went to school for like what was regional development and business management. And obviously I manage a business. Regional development was like the real estate school. That's what I thought. So this is a perfect example. I thought when I was that age that I was going to go and be a real estate developer. And I thought that was my passion. I thought that was... So that's what I went to school for. I think so many young people 
go to school thinking they want to do something. And then they go through all the classes and they get into the real world. Like, wait a minute, I don't like that at all. That's not what I want. I think we kind of have college backwards in a way where it's like, maybe get out in the real world, maybe kind of figure out what you actually want to do professionally and then go back to school. Like if I could go back, I would probably do something in finance and computer sciences because you could figure out the business stuff later. But we have a lot of wasted degrees of people going, getting a degree in something that they later in life don't even give a shit about. And I think people don't learn things because they go there and they're actually not passionate about what they think they are. And so then they just zone out, right? Like if you're like, if, if there was a course right now in college and I was like, how to be a better broadcaster, how to be a better podcaster, and how to manage an online business. Like you would be there and you'd probably soak up everything in that course. I don't agree with you because I went to school for television broadcasting and I can tell you right now, I've learned more by throwing myself out there on a video and a mic. Of course, but that's, that's, well, you're always going to learn more by doing, but I'm saying a lot of people go thinking that they're going to be passionate about something and then they realize that they don't care about whatever they studied at all. Did you study in regional development and vagina or just was it regional development? I was taking a lot of anatomy classes. Okay. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Also, another thing, I just have so many friends who are literally my age who are unhappy in their jobs already. And it's like, if you're so unhappy, you have the least amount of responsibility you'll ever have. Make a change now. If you're unhappy in your job, let me give you a little ASMR. If you're unhappy in your job leave your job, go work at the service industry, go be a bartender, a cocktail server, a hostess, whatever, get out and work on your passion during the day. When people tell me they're unhappy in their job, there, there's a lot of options out there. There are, especially with the internet. I would rather do Postmates and Uber all day long and work on my passion at the same time. You have to figure out what is worth the sacrifice. But let me say this. I think back to some, and now obviously I'm a very happy person, but I think back to also some of the happiest moments in my life when we were like in our twenties, even in college and we're dead broke. I remember I like, I lived in a place with four other guys. My rent was 400 bucks a month total, including utilities. We were drinking like natural light and Captain Morgan and Jack Daniels every week. Like, and we were broke as shit, right? Like McDonald's and whatever. And that was some of the most fun. I think what happens is you become an adult and you think, okay, I need to have this amount of money and this kind of job and this kind of lifestyle also I'm a failure and then that pressure. And you forget that you were happy when you were broke with a bunch of your broke friends, right? You can live yeah. that way. So I think just like removing the pressure of feeling like you have to have it all figured out the right narrative, now. The narrative. And just realize like you can be happy and if you don't like your job, like take the pay cut, go figure something else out. You lived like this before without a job. You lived in a broke situation, probably with roommates, had fun get a natural light, settle down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know what I'm saying? Like we put all this pressure, like, oh my God, I'm 25. And like, I'm, you know, I don't, so I got to stay in this shitty job that I hate and I got to keep doing this stuff. And if not, I'm going to like go back to where I already was. Yes. But like where you were was you were happy. Yeah. That's actually really good. I think too, another thing is like, you're not going to like every aspect of your job regardless. So that's always something that I'm like, when I say like, if you're unhappy, leave, like, there's going to be things that suck about your job and exactly what we're talking about, like the years that like you make no money and the years that are really hard. It's going to suck at times. But like, ultimately, I think, you know, if you're passionate about something or not. Totally. It's like either there's going to be things that you don't like. I wake up and do things I don't like all the time for my job. But you know, when it's something that you like absolutely hate that you can't stand and it's annoying every facet and rising your cortisol that it's time to get a new job. I like 20% of what I do. I'm, I'm being honest. And, but I think because I'm passionate about what I, what I do, all of the 80% of shit that I got to deal with all the time 
enables me to stick with it because I love I love what I do. But that's another thing. I think a lot of people, and I'll use the term young people, think they hear this. I think it's really bad advice. Chase your passion. You never work a day in your life. That's horseshit. As soon as you ch- as soon as you turn your passion into a business, you will work. And what it'll do is it'll make your passion into a business. And with business comes hard work. And so what it does is the passion enables you to get through all the hard work and all the ups and downs of what comes with doing the work. So I think a lot of times people get into a situation, especially new people that are starting, whether it's a, you know, a content business or an online business or their own thing or their own job. And they're like, wait a minute, I don't like like 60% of this. It's like, of course it's work. Nobody likes to work all the time. But just because it doesn't mean you don't stick with it. It doesn't mean you quit, right? Like, I think distinguishing between like what's a job you actually hate and don't see any future for yourself and like what are moments within that job you're like, man, I really hate this part of my job, but I love this company or I love this business or I love this project or whatever. I think it's more about not chasing your passion, chasing your vision and being a visionary. The reason that you do what you do, Michael, is because you're saying you like 20%. It's because you're, you have a vision and you're a visionary for your company. So you're fine with doing 80% of stuff that maybe you don't love because you know where you're moving the needle. So if you are, if you can be a visionary with what you're doing and be committed to that vision, it's okay when you're not doing everything you like. I think it becomes a problem when it's a toxic situation. Absolutely. This is a really great episode, guys. We're going to end because we've been going over. There is a swap. So on the Skinny Confidential, we have another episode. I'm not sure when these are going up, so I don't know when it'll be out, but you guys plug everything you have. Well, first of all, we definitely need to put the episodes up at the same time because we interviewed you and you're so adorable and just a breath of fresh air. And I loved having you on our podcast. You can find me at Lauren Bostick and at The Skinny Confidential for my product. I think just the podcast, The Skinny Confidential, him and her. And then obviously Dear Media, go listen to, well, if you're already listening to Kenzie's show, but listen to some other shows, right? If you want to see Michael Bostick without his shirt on, I forced him to post a shirtless photo. Yeah, I got a shitload of engagement. I'm sure he talked about it for like three days. The one post that I got. Three days, he's still talking about it. It's been two weeks. Yeah, my monthly post. I post once a month pretty Uh much. So yeah, pop pop Yeah, right now he's committed to having huge muscles while I'm rolling around pregnant. That's the last thing I'll say though, actually about- Oh, here he goes. (laughs) It's not done. You know- we were talking on our podcast and something you said stuck out. You said you like really wanted to do a podcast. Like that's your main thing, but you kind of already were on YouTube. I think a lot of people that are new to content, they feel a pressure to be on everything, everywhere. TikTok, social, yeah. podcast, YouTube. And then they kind of end up like feeling overwhelmed, scattered and like- And they, not giving anything they're all. Yeah. And like, you know, if you were to look at me on Instagram, you're like, okay, that's not very impressive. There's not a lot going on there. That's because my main thing, the thing that I put the most focus in is the podcast and from the podcast stem Dear Media. And like that's and that's why I actually enjoy creating content where I can be my most authentic self. And I'm fine with that. I don't need to be everywhere else. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people that they need to be everywhere. But from the seat that I sit in, I meet people all the time. I'm like, damn, that's a really good podcast. Or like, I don't care what the rest of their stuff is. Like, they're just a great podcast and they can build a massive business just doing that one thing. I feel that, especially with TikTok coming up, like the pressure, but just knowing the right avenues has helped a lot. Perfect. You do a beautiful job and we love your audience. It's so cute. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. If you love this episode, please don't forget to leave a rating and review. It really helps the show grow. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram or YouTube at Kinsey Elizabeth or on TikTok at Kinsey the Texan. I drop new episodes every Thursday and they're also available to watch on YouTube. Thanks so much for listening and I will talk to y'all next Thursday.
please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.